resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. Communication is down all over the country. Everybody was just rushing up to the closest high point. I'm just holding on for dear life here. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. The warnings were going up. The extent to which people took heed of the warnings is another question. Very much a wake-up call. People were prepared and that's why we've got less lives lost than we could have had. People need to know what to do and it's not difficult. We provide the right information to people and they can act accordingly. Pacific Kissing Was. The Pacific Pacific, you follow, I must prepare. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared, where the Pacific comes together to share information that can save lives, save loved ones and save livelihoods. I'm Aaron Carney. Coming up in this episode, COVID-19, hesitancy subsiding in Samoa and vaccination rates soaring. In PNG, new connectivity is making sure accurate information reaches remote communities during the pandemic. And we check in on the volatility of Vanuatu's volcanoes. Disasters may be inevitable, but the loss of your life, your family, your home, your land or your village are not. So, let's prepare. It was a terrifying night. Everything was shaking and getting pounded by debris. We had to make sure that they have a safe shelter and drinking water. Helping you stay safe, Pacific Prepared. The most pressing disaster facing the Pacific right now continues to be the COVID-19 pandemic. And every place is different. After closing its borders and aggressively vaccinating, Palau has recently recorded its first case, while PNG has recorded more than 160 deaths and 16,000 cases. What about Samoa? According to the World Health Organization, there has been only one case and no deaths. The first vaccines only arrived in the Polynesian nation about a month ago, and authorities were facing widespread vaccine hesitancy. But we can now report that more than 30,000 people, about 15% of the entire population, has had at least one dose. Pacific Prepared Samoa correspondent and National Radio 2AP reporter Maui Liutumose spoke with the Director General of Health in Samoa, Dr. Take Nasiri, to discover the latest. What is the reaction of the general public since the vaccine rollout started? Well, initially slow, but uh, we have uh, steadily progressed. And now we're seeing more and more people coming to be vaccinated. Uh, the trend uh, from our fixed sites, the fixed sites in town are usually the most used and also here in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that there are a lot of people from out in the rural areas are coming to town just for being to get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So the rollout is very encouraging. Mm-hmm. I think people are now fully aware of the complications, mm. especially how this virus kills so many people all over the world. So I think that's why most of the people are now uh, getting back. What is the total number of people being vaccinated since it started? Since we started, uh, uh, we 
they vaccinated about 30,496 people. Now, mind you, this is the first dose. Our vaccine needs requires two doses. How long will the vaccine last or the effectiveness of the doses? Well, from uh, all the, the reviews they've done on this AstraZeneca, usually after the second dose, the effectiveness uh, improves over 90%. Mm. And theoretically, they should last for life unless the virus starts, you know, changing to a different strain. Then it should be. Now we look to some uh, strains. No, some variants of the virus, but the uh, reviews are also uh, noting that uh, these vaccines have already been pre-qualified by WHO so are still effective against all these variants. Thank you. And my last question is, any review of the eligibility of those who are not eligible to be vaccinated? But this, these are our exclusion criteria. Uh, all those below 18 oh. do not be vaccinated. But if you're like 17 and you will turn 18 this year, we will still vaccinate you. Oh. Uh, all the pregnant mothers, all the lactating mothers, uh, uh, anyone with a history of hypersensitivity to any kind of uh, vaccine, uh, also, people who have been uh, on immunosuppressive therapy, uh, especially those anti-cancer therapy, uh, those who are being bedbound, bedridden at home, mm. the elderly, 80 to 85 and up. But we still give a leeway towards that age group because they're 80. There are people who are 80, but they are very strong. So depends. we don't discourage them, but uh, we'll have a good look. Anyone with a plus dyscrasia, uh, such as thrombocytopenia, we, we don't give them the vaccine. Mm. And also anyone who has been fully vaccinated from overseas. I think it's a simple uh, exclusion criteria we have to wear. Thank you so much, Doctor, for your time. Pacific prepared Samoa correspondent and National Radio 2AP reporter Maui Liutumose speaking with the Director General of Health in Samoa, Dr. Take Naseri, to learn the latest on the nation's vaccine rollout. Ten minutes after the earthquake, we had a loud bang and then just saw the sea rising up. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Pacific prepared. Perhaps the most famous volcanic event in recent Pacific history is the evacuation of Umbai Island in Vanuatu. On September 28, 2017, after a week of increasing volcanic activity, the government of Vanuatu ordered a complete evacuation of the island, home to about 11,000 residents. Ash from the eruption covered the island, killing crops and polluting the air and water. Meantime, the famous volcano on Tana Island, a major tourist attraction in non-pandemic times, has been making its presence felt. So while we should always be prepared for disaster, what do we know about the current danger levels in Vanuatu? Pacific prepared Vanuatu correspondent and head of news at Capital FM 107, Heather Meraki, has been investigating the many volcanoes of Vanuatu 
and their current level of threat. Vanuatu, a Pacific Island nation prone to natural disasters, currently has six active volcanoes which are being monitored by the Geohazards Department. I had the opportunity to speak to the scientific geochemist officer under the Geohazards Department, Ricardo William, who explains more about the active volcanoes and how often they issue updates on the alert levels of each volcano. Uh, in Vanuatu, there are six active volcanoes. There are also some uh, underwater submarine volcanoes, uh, which are active but are not monitored. And uh, the six active volcanoes, we have uh, Tana, uh, Lopevi, Ambram, Ambai, Kawa, and Vanualava. So they are different in their characteristics. And usually we send out volcano alert bulletins that are reminders monthly. So at the end of every month, we produce a reminder volcano alert bulletin and send it through our email listing, which are authorities concerned. And we also disseminate through our social media Facebook page and our website. These are reminders that we produce every month just to remind everyone about the status and volcano alert level for each uh, active volcanoes. Otherwise, if there are any changes in the activity of each volcano, we also have volcano alert bulletins, but these are not reminders. These are to uh, inform everyone about uh, the changes of the activities. Uh, otherwise, the reminders are issued every month, at the end of every month, uh, just as a reminder. Which alert level needs action from authorities? There are five different levels of alert. It begins at zero, where there is no more law, no signs of changes in activity. This uh, referred to dormant or uh, volcanoes which are not active anymore. Otherwise, uh, we have from alert level one, this will be volcanoes that shows signs of unrest, and then alert level two, major unrest, and then level three, minor eruption. So usually when the volcano increases in activity from one level to another, especially from level two upwards, we could uh, call on the authorities concerned for response. But the different volcanoes consist of different characteristics. The way the activity changes is um, not consistent for all volcanoes. So it depends on the volcano itself. The hazards it contains may differ or is different from one volcano to another. Otherwise, volcanic at level 3, it's a minor eruption upwards or major unrest from alert level 2. That's where we can uh, have response from authorities concerned. At this stage, is there any volcanic um, eruptions happening in any of the volcanoes in Vanuatu? At this stage, I would say no. We have had Hambai volcano that uh, recently have uh, increased within the alert level 1. 
why it shows signs of uh, steam emission and gas. But over the past few weeks, the activity had decreased again. But otherwise, uh, there are no eruptions at the moment. With news happening around the island of Tana about ashfall damaging food gardens, uh-huh. what level is that with the Yasu volcano? For Tana, the volcanic level is level two now, which is a major unrest state. And this level of uh, major unrest, we would usually see steam emissions and gas emissions, especially SO2, which contributes to acid rain that destroy crops or vegetation around the volcano area. Also, at alert level 2, we could uh, see light ash emission, which contributes to hazards observed around uh, Yasur. For other volcanoes in Vanuatu, for Ambai and Ambram and Vanualava, they are at alert level 1, Lopevi, Gawa and uh, Yasur, as I've mentioned, they are at alert level 2. The National Disaster Management Office have sent food and water to be distributed to the communities on Tana, heavily affected by the ash fall from the Yasu volcano. Pacific prepared Vanuatu correspondent and head of news at Capital FM 107, Heather Meraki, speaking with Ricardo William, scientific geochemist officer at the Vanuatu Geohazards Department. We'll have more from Heather's investigation into the state of volcanoes in Vanuatu in upcoming episodes, including how lessons have been learned and new approaches applied as farmers begin to return to the once abandoned island of Ombai. Helping you stay safe. Pacific Prepared. When disaster strikes, you may have to evacuate quickly and be away from your home for some time. So, disaster authorities recommend making a kit with some essential items you will need if you have to flee your home. These are commonly known as go-bags. Your go-bag should be brightly colored and easy to carry, something like a large sports bag or backpack. Some go-bags have a lot of items and can be quite expensive. Some cost almost nothing. Each episode, we will bring another item for your go-bag and you can decide if it is right for you and how you can make it work. First aid kits can save lives in a disaster. They can be costly, but everyone should have one nearby in an emergency. Read and follow all instructions where possible. Make sure you keep your first aid kit away from contaminated water and other hazards. Make sure you use hand sanitizer or soap before opening your first aid kit. Try to get first aid kit for your go bag. 
Listen in next time for another item that will help make you ready to go. This information has been drawn from various sources, including the Red Cross, the United Nations, and government agencies. Be informed, be prepared, Pacific Prepared. Kevin Murai from MBC Papua New Guinea helping you create your go bag. Small, sterile, pre-packed first aid kits can cost as little as 10 US dollars, but bigger, more complex kits cost much more. That's too much for some families, so maybe you can talk to those in your village, your street, or even your church community about the best way to make sure everyone has access to first aid when a disaster strikes. Keep listening to future episodes as we add more items. Start your go bag now. Be informed. Be ready. Pacific prepared. While the COVID-19 pandemic has been a disaster across the globe, it's also led to the fast tracking of some important changes. In Papua New Guinea's western province, it's prompted a collaboration between companies, donors and local officials that has led to the installation of satellite internet connections in 30 remote communities. That remote support is proving valuable not only in the sharing of health information, but addressing health misinformation and giving vital support and encouragement to health officials facing mass vaccine, mythology and hesitancy. And it has unlocked new possibilities for effective disaster preparation as well. MBC Papua New Guinea reporter and Pacific Prepared correspondent Waliagai Olawale and I connected with the PNG Sustainable Development Program's Esther Sibona and the CEO of satellite internet company Pacific, Christian Patero, about what this trial program could mean, not only for Western Province, but communities right across the Pacific. Wally Agai started by asking what it's like for disconnected communities with limited access to the outside world. That is a big problem because of the geography and also the challenges with logistics of moving things around. So having technology is one of the ways that we are actually connecting people, giving them access to information that they need. And in most times in in terms of health, it could even save lives. So working with technology in an isolated area is very, very helpful. What was life like when you were more disconnected and how does it compare to the connectivity and communications that you have now? We have a, uh, our aerial health patrols where we have a seven-man team visit re- remote communities in Western Province to provide primary health care in WASH, um, maternal health care, and um, they do training as well for the health care stuff in those remote communities. And before that, it was just our team going into these remote communities by air to bring this information. And there was not really, we used to use um, v- VH 
HF radios to get some of the communities that we cannot reach. But now with the satellite dish that we have in the 30 communities, the health worker has a has a mobile phone that we've given him and you know, showed him how to use WhatsApp and stuff. So we could actually just call him beforehand and say, this is the, the team is coming here. Or if he has any um, issues on hand, like there's a snake bite and he needs support from a, a health, another health professional, he could easily call another health um, professional in another hospital, in another health center, or he can even call our health team in Balimo. And so there's this shorter way way of helping another person through opening that communication line. So even for the health worker in, in like previously, they have to actually walk like some distances. Sometimes it takes up to two days to walk to another health center to make a call to somewhere else where they could get help help from. So with the satellite dish now installed, he can just, the health, health um, professional can just make a call and get the support that he needs. Christian, you've, you've seen the reality in many different countries. What are the similarities and differences when it comes to communications? There's a lot of similarities between regions and uh, a similar dilemmas that are facing by remote population. There, there are some cultural differences, but the fundamental remains in line with what Esther just, just described, an isolation that leads to a, a serious, precarious situation for our livelihood for the people that will not uh, have access to basic public service such as education or health. When we set up the system, we never thought that it could turn into the public service that it has become uh, and to the life-saving lifeline it has become for many communities. So generally, I, I would say that there is nothing really specific about one country compared to the next other than you know some regulation and culture but generally people all around the world in rural and remote areas are craving for bandwidth uh, because they end up in a very precarious situation by being technologically isolated. Christian, the potential for disaster communications, preparation and recovery are significant, aren't they? Absolutely, Aaron. We we actually got a taste of that on a, uh, a number of occasions since since our satellite uh, has been launched. We participated to the recovery after tropical cyclone Harold, category five cyclone hit uh, the Solomon, Vanuatu, and then Fiji. Uh, we were uh, particularly focused on Vanuatu at the time. Uh, where we were the first to recover communications. Earlier also uh, on, a, on, a, on a service that we had put together before launching our, our first satellite, uh, we also participated uh, to the evacuation of an island, the Mbai Island in the Pacific, that uh, underwent a, a volcanic eruption, and our service was used to evacuate 10,000 people. So absolutely, the, the great thing with satellite technology is that it, it's deployed at a, at a very high speed, 
Um, it is, it's always there. It's, it, it doesn't get knocked off because of natural or man-made disasters. So it's a great backup. The issue, of course, is preparedness. So Esther, just um, listening to what Christian has just said about how this satellite system can actually assist with informing communities prior to disasters, has PNG STP, in fact, considered this system can also be used if there is a disaster that comes up in, in, in those areas? In the event that there is, that is the system that we will use because for now we also use it for, you know, weather updates for the pilots. Um, mm-hmm. One of the main things we're using it for now is our COVID vaccination awareness as well, mm-hmm. that before going into, there's a lot of hesitancy um, toward the COVID vaccination um, at the moment. So we use this to talk to the uh, health workers in the remote communities or some of the health leaders even, and then they then help us to, you know, go into the communities to do an awareness on on um, COVID vaccination. So yes, of course, we will um, look into, you know, if there was anything that needs communication through um, this project, it will definitely be used in disaster preparedness or anything like that. NBC Papua New Guinea reporter and Pacific Prepared correspondent Wally Agai Olawale and I speaking with the PNG Sustainable Development Program's Esther Sibona and the CEO of satellite internet company Pacific, Christian Patero about the trial satellite internet program that's underway to help fight COVID in 30 remote communities in Western Province. We had more to discuss regarding the future of technology and communications in disaster preparation, and we'll share that part of our discussion in an upcoming episode. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Wanomo Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP and TBC Tonga. Is your organization working in disaster preparedness or resilience? Keep us informed so we can keep everyone informed. Do you have a story idea, an experience to share, a topic you'd like covered? Contact us anytime via email pacificprepared at your.abc.net.au. That is pacificprepared at your.abc.net.au. If you have access to the internet, there are a wealth of resources that can help you learn about disasters and prepare for them. The emergency and disaster management offices in most Pacific nations have websites with valuable information and many outline local plans and procedures, often in your local language. For an Australian perspective, head to abc.net.au forward slash emergency or type ABC emergency into a search engine and you'll find information about what to do after a disaster. Of course, be aware that your local circumstances will almost certainly be different. You can stream all episodes of Pacific Prepared and some special breakout stories on the internet. 
head to abc.net.au forward slash radio dash Australia or just type Pacific Prepared into a search engine. We'll be the first thing that comes up. Consider starting a conversation with your family, your community, your co-workers and think seriously about creating a go bag. We want to help you make the next disaster less disastrous. Thank you to our guests, correspondents and contributors, government and non-government agencies who provided emergency and disaster information and support. And thank you for listening. My name is Aaron Carney. We'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, please stay safe, share what you've learned here, and together we will help get the Pacific prepared. Pacific Prepared.